Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining Podcasts. Society-13.com I like to listen. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Channel 9 of the STRY Radio Network, where stories live. Hey, uh, can you hold the elevator? Uh, oh, thanks. Oh, it's you. Yeah, well, I'm just heading down to, uh... Oh, you're not getting on? Alright, well, I'll just head on by myself. I have to head down and do the warning this week because we had somebody scheduled to do it, but it didn't work out. Uh, so now I have to do it. So I'm just going to head down and do the warning. I don't think you're going to be telling anyone anything. Hey, geez, don't shove. Wait a minute. Where's the lift? (laughs) (laughs) Now then, the Wicked Library is intended for mature audiences only. And even if you're not mature, you ought to be able to handle a little spooky now, shouldn't you? If you have any intentions of complaining, I would like you to direct all of your email to the corpse on the floor. (laughs) Everyone else, come on in. It's spooky time. (laughs) Scrape what's left of that off the floor, would you? Kiddies, have a seat and relax. I am your librarian. There's nothing to be afraid of, yet. Hold on to yourselves, boils and ghouls. This is going to be a dark ride. We'll leave the lights on for now. No talking. It's story time at the Wicked Library. <laughs> Every summer, back when I was a kid, our family would pack up and hit the road, traveling from California to Pennsylvania to visit my mom's family. We were the typical unit, mom and dad and three brothers, Jake and Jerry, and me, Johnny, the kid brother, five years the younger. Jake and Jerry were just a year apart, so they usually hunted as a pack, and I was on the menu. Most of it was good, clean fun, of the typical sort you find among precocious siblings. Looking back, anyways. Like all big brothers, mine perfected the art of spotting whatever could be used to get my goat, work me up, or get me to start crying. Whenever they found one of those little gold mines, they worked it mercilessly until the vein dried up, and they were forced to search for greener grass elsewhere in my tender young psyche. One thing that never did fail with me, one vein that never did dry up, was the roadman. I never heard much about the roadman except when we were actually on the road. 
And even then, Jake and Jerry saved any talk of his exploits for the desert, where they said he lived. For the long, open road between cities and towns that was his territory. The place where he hunted anybody stupid enough to try making a run for it across the desert at nighttime. Then I heard all the usual stuff about kids like me being kidnapped and carried off into the night where their parents would never find them. Sometimes the stories about the roadman had him even roasting the kid over a campfire and eating him whole or forcing him to work long back-breaking hours in some unlit subterranean caverns mining God knows what abominable substance or toxic material. Like I said, the usual fare. The first time I heard about the roadman, I must have been about five or six. We were driving late at night, and I was just minding my own business when I noticed Jake and Jerry were strangely quiet. I looked at them, and Jake, the oldest, started whispering in Jerry's ear. They both started snickering, and of course, I wasn't going to be left out, so I demanded to know what they were talking about. Jake took an exaggerated gulp of air and grimaced, jerking his thumb toward the back window. He said they'd seen the roadman coming up behind us about a mile back, saw his headlights and they were closing fast. My mom shot Jake a look over the seat and glared, saying I was too damn young for that nonsense and they'd better knock it off. That shut them right up, but they still kept glancing out the back window and then nervously at each other. That was the last I heard of it until the next year when we were back on the highway heading east. But I sure as hell hadn't forgotten about this topic that had my brothers spooked and made my mom hush them up. The next year, sure enough, we're on the road late at night. My mom was asleep, and my brothers were staring out the rear window at the road swallowed up in complete darkness behind us, like it ceased to exist. Across one particularly long stretch, I started to feel kind of weird. There was nothing but a wall of black on either side of the road, and everything beyond the highway seemed to have vanished. There wasn't another car in sight. No signs, nothing. And I was hoping we'd come to a gas station, anything where there'd be people around, something to break this monotonous emptiness. Then, just up ahead, I saw a light, and my heart jumped with relief, praying it was a gas station or roadside diner. My dad usually stopped every chance he got to stretch his legs and grab some coffee. I hadn't realized just how nervous I was until I saw that light. In another minute, we reached it, and my heart sank, and I almost gasped in despair. It was just a sign, an advertisement with some reflectors on it, not even a real light. That would have meant there was a town nearby. Even at a distance, it had caught our headlights and allowed me the diluted hope of a bustling roadside oasis with cars and happy travelers, kids running around, and hopefully a cold case where I could grab a grape knee-high out of the freezing water while my dad shot the breeze for a few minutes with the clerk. But no, that was just too much to hope for when you're just a kid on the road in the middle of the night. So, on we drove but I noticed the way Jake and Jerry looked at that sign, the way their eyes followed it as we sped past. They'd fallen for the cruel trick as much as I had. I felt like I'd been intentionally tricked, like something was playing with me, was somewhere out there in the darkness laughing at me. From then on, those reflectors always had kind of a sinister sheen to them, and I hated the sight of them. A bit later, I heard Jerry whispering and trying to wake Jake up. Mom was snoring. I looked at Jerry, and he just mouthed, Road man. But I could see he was really scared, and not just faking it to get me going. So we all looked out the back window, and I got up on my knees to see better. 
There was a pair of lights on the road behind us, getting bigger by the second. I told myself it was just another car, but was afraid my older brothers knew better than I about this stuff. A couple of minutes later, the car caught up to us. It was a dirty yellow convertible with fins and the top down. I looked to see who was driving, figuring it was probably just some family like us, a dad at the wheel, and a mom asleep with some kids dozing in the back. But no, it was just a guy. I could see that as he passed us. He didn't look our way, but he looked like a cowboy. Taking a few seconds too long to clear our car, he finally pulled ahead and then floored it. In a few seconds, he was gone and I felt my shoulders and stomach relax. Every year from then on, it was the same thing. We'd pass through that one stretch of desert, and there'd be no one around for hours. Then, some lights would appear behind us. Soon, they'd overtake us and speed off down the road. But I was always terrified when I saw those lights. Every damn time. I was always on my knees at that back window on the lookout for anything that might try to gain on us or catch us. My heart would pound in my chest so hard I couldn't decide if I wanted my dad to speed up so he could outrun those damn lights or slow down so they would catch up and move on as soon as possible. The summer of my 11th birthday, I was watching the lights as they closed the distance between us. Every mile or so, there was a dip in the road the lights would disappear and then appear again in a couple of seconds. One time, as the lights disappeared, I waited for them to reappear again, but they didn't. The thing was, there were no roads or turnoffs on this desolate stretch. If whoever it was had pulled off the road and turned into the desert itself, we would have seen their lights but those lights were gone. About an hour later, more lights, the same ones or different, I couldn't tell, appeared behind us and started closing in fast. It could have been the same car. Maybe he just pulled over for a few minutes of sleep. But I didn't really think that was what it was at all. Soon, the car caught up with us and pulled up alongside... It was the yellow convertible, with fins, and the top down. I couldn't believe it. A little part of me said it was just some local guy, the same we'd seen those years back. I brushed that idea off with a sneer. My heart felt like a caged animal gone wild, and it was all I could do to get a breath. When the car was alongside us, the guy turned and looked right at me. I swear we had eye contact as he grinned at me and then roared off. He disappeared for a second into the dip in the road. Thing is, though, he never reappeared, and no lights turned off into the desert. Even my dad mentioned it, saying it was the damnedest thing. Where'd that guy go? That kind of stuff. That experience sort of ripped the lid off some part of me so deep inside. I never really knew it existed before. I was starting to suspect something because of the way I always felt out on that road. Whenever I saw those lights behind us, and how more times than not it was a yellow convertible with fins in the top down, and hardly ever a car with a mom and dad and some kids in the back. Nobody said anything about it, and I was too scared to bring it up, still hoping it was just a kid's overactive imagination. I still always loved going on road trips, but I dreaded the long runs through that particular stretch of desert. Eventually, Jake went off to college and stopped going on family vacations. Then it was just Jerry and me, staring out the back window, watching, almost hoping we'd see those damned lights so we could get it over with. Like the time that yellow convertible caught up with us and passed us by and disappeared down the road. And then, about 15 minutes later, he passed us again. A few miles later, that car was stopped 
and the driver was just standing there with his thumb out like he had a flat or something and wanted a lift. I prayed my dad would just sail on past and not stop. This was long before cell phones, but my dad said he'd never pick up hitchhikers with mom and us kids in the car. When we hit the next town, he'd send somebody back from a gas station. The thing was, though, we passed the guy again about 10 miles up the road, walking back the way he'd come. But there'd been no other cars for someone to have given him a ride. Then the lights appeared behind us, and he passed us going so fast, I could hardly make out the car. But it was him, all right. It was the same guy. That was the last year Jerry went with us. He moved in with Katie, and they started taking their own vacations. So I was on my own with the folks apparently clueless up in the front seat. My mom always slept through the desert, so she never saw anything anyway. My dad sure did, because he often said it seemed strange. But he'd always shake his head and pull out the thermos of coffee and take a few swigs and say no more about it. The last few times I went on vacation with the folks before I moved out on my own was just more of the same. I was still terrified every time I saw those lights behind us on the road. I felt like we had to outrun them, stay ahead of them, not let them catch up or catch us. I couldn't really make sense of it. No doubt there was something weird out there on that highway. The way it made me feel, the way I always saw that same grimy cow hand in his yellow convertible with the top down but it had to be just some local dude right kids have pretty powerful imaginations and my brothers had really done a number on me with that roadman shit but the thing was whoever it was he never did anything but drive up and down the road and stare at us stare at me mostly it was just some guy had to be whatever it was the fear that filled in all the blanks and made me know I never wanted that guy to catch up with us. I vowed never to drive past dark through the desert when I was out on my own. I never forgot about the road, man. Even when I went off to college and moved out into the world of my own adventures, I could never get a straight answer out of Jerry and Jake about whether they had made the whole road man thing up to scare me or if they'd heard about it someplace else. They seemed kind of weird about it, and by now, Jake had little Jake and didn't want me talking about that stuff in front of the boy. But the thing was still always kind of fresh with me, because I didn't quite know what to make of the roadman and all his antics. It was like I always had one foot anchored right back there in those days. Oddly enough, I didn't do too much to try to shake it off or explain it away either. Five or six years passed and I had my own small business running organic produce all around the Southwest, servicing Tex-Mex joints. It was a good job. I loved being on the road and by now I had plenty of friends along the way who'd put me up for the night. It was a sweet gig and I really enjoyed it. One Friday, I got an order from a brand new customer on my website. Coyote's Kitchen had heard about me and wanted to give me a try. It was a last-minute rush delivery, and I suspected the folks at Coyotes had come up short with another distributor and called me in a pinch. No problemo. So I loaded up and set out for Prescott, Arizona for my place in Barstow, a trip of about five hours. Anyway, you cut the cards, I wouldn't see Prescott before 2 a.m. I loaded up and set out. It was a nice summer evening, and the road was fairly empty. I was making good time, so I stopped off at a roadside gas superstation, the kind that had hot snacks and damn good coffee in a half a dozen flavors. So I fueled up, filled my travel coffee mug, and grabbed a handful of Slim Jims. It was around midnight when it hit me that I hadn't seen another car in over an hour, and there were no roadside stops on this local state highway like there were out on Route 66 and Highway 40. I chuckled. It was a lot like the stretch of highway where I used to see what my brothers and I called the roadman back when we were kids. I glanced over my shoulder a few times and kept one eye on the road and the other glued to the rearview mirror. Force of habit in familiar territory, I guess. A while later, movement caught my attention to my left. 
I jerked my head and saw a car right beside me, passing so fast all I could see was a blur as I shook my head in shock and slammed on the brakes. I must have dozed off for a second and hadn't seen him until he was right on top of me. That was a wake-up call. Like my dad before me, I picked up my coffee mug, but it was long empty. About a half an hour later, I saw headlights on the road behind me. The back of my neck prickled, and I unconsciously shoved my foot against the accelerator. The guy, gal, whoever, was really traveling because they caught up to me in just a couple of minutes. As he whizzed by, I saw unbelievably that it was a yellow convertible with fins top down and a cowboy looking guy the very same cowboy looking guy touching the brim of his hat and grinning as he sped past I almost lost it at that point but why really clearly this kind of guy is a classic around here and they always seem to have old cars either that or I was hallucinating or filling in something I saw with something I remembered from long ago whatever I was wide awake with eyes on the road from then on which was good because when I saw more headlights behind me I almost crapped myself when they disappeared behind a dip in the road I wasn't all that surprised when they didn't reappear at the next rise nor was I surprised when about five minutes later I saw the convertible stop by the side of the road the driver thumbing for a lift I was thoroughly creeped out but again not exactly surprised and I kept on going I looked at my watch it was 1.30 I'd been flooring it for the last few miles and had to start seeing signs for the turnoff to Prescott any time now that's when my tire blew and I fishtailed off the road into the dirt in a cloud of white dust and sat there rocking back and forth for a few seconds being the idiot that I am my spare was in the back alright but it was flat from the last roadside mishap and I'd been too lazy to get it repaired I just sat there for a few minutes I knew there was no cell reception this far out how many miles to the next gas station there was nothing as far as the eye could see No lights off in the distance toward the mountains on either side of the road that might mean there was a ranch nearby, or even a shack where a solitary range hand might be on night watch. Nothing. So I got out and I started walking down the road. I'd gone about a mile when I saw lights coming up behind me. I shuddered to think, but relaxed when an SUV drove past and slowed down. I stuck out my thumb, but the mom at the wheel just shrugged and pointed at the back, which was full of kids. Then she sped on and disappeared into the night. I couldn't blame her. So I kept walking, miserable that I would be leaving a new client in the lurch. I was hoping to still see a ride come by, maybe a guy in a pickup who'd take a chance so I could get to a station and call the Coyote Kitchen people to say I was going to be late. That's when I saw something up ahead in the middle of the road. Sometimes you saw cows just standing there. Not at night, usually, but a stray might wander off and get confused in the dark. Or it could have been an accident. If it was, I knew it must be pretty bad because no one was moving. It was no cow. And it was no accident, either. It was a yellow convertible with the top down parked across the narrow highway. The long, lean driver was braced against the hood, arms crossed over his chest, just staring in my direction like he was waiting for me. I slowed but kept on walking. It was the old cowhand, the same guy I'd seen all those times on vacation with my folks. He was worse for the wear, dark with dust and road grime and more weathered than I'd remembered. As I got closer, he opened up a wide, toothy grin and waved to me. Hey, hey, Johnny. 
he said in a long, smooth Texas drawl. I've been waiting for you. I was just about to give up hope, he added with a roar of laughter, then spit something out onto the ground. I slowed again, but kept on walking, my arms dangling like dead weight at my sides. There was nowhere else to go, and I was like a man sleepwalking or staggering drunk. As soon as I got up to him, he put his arm over my shoulders and we started walking. The cowboy started talking, and all I could do was listen. Yeah, Johnny, I've been waiting a long time for you to come by again. I saw you back then with your folks. Sure did. We walked out into the desert, and he just kept talking. Your ma always slept along that road, didn't she? She didn't want to see me, but she knew I was there. Your pa, too. He even said so, didn't he? But he always pushed it aside, saying I was just his imagination. Those brothers of yours, Jake and Jerry, they used to believe, I guess. Wanted to believe. But then they just got too damn full of themselves like your dad. Told themselves I was just bunk. Stuff to scare little kids. I sure scared you, didn't I, Johnny? All I could do was nod. The cool night air settled on me and I started to shiver. But it was something more than just that. But you, Johnny, you believed in me right away. You always did. And you saw me too. Saw me full in the face. Locked me square in the eyes. That means a lot, he said, pointing to his own eyes with two fingers. Not like your brothers who only saw me out of the corner of their eye. Pretty sure they saw something, but no damn idea what the hell I was. But you, Johnny, you saw, you knew, you believed. He fell silent then, and we just kept walking. And I've been waiting for you to come back ever since. You see, Johnny, it's time for me to move on, you know? Goodbye, Johnny. I always knew you'd come back this way one day. The road stretches out ahead of me as far as the eye can see. There must be 50 miles either way before you come to any town or gas station. It's just two empty lanes of tarmac in the middle of a sea of gray desert from horizon to horizon. I've been on this run now for many years. Can't remember exactly how many, but I know it's a lot. My folks are long dead now, of course. I can't remember the last time I saw Jake or Jerry, and I don't suppose I ever will again, things being what they are. It's dark now, but then... It always is here on this stretch of the highway. Up ahead, a car comes into view, and I floor the accelerator. I come up alongside that car pretty quick, and I see a kid in the back seat on his knees, eyes glued to the back window, and a look of sheer terror, and something else on his face. Curiosity, maybe. When I pass by, I grin at that kid and touch the brim of my hat so he knows I'm real. So he'll remember me in the days and years to come. I see his mouth making words at me through the window. The road man. His silent lips gasp in my direction. And I nod and wave. That's right, kid. I am the road man. For now... Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Thanks for tuning in for today's episode of The Wicked Library. Stay tuned for a short interview with the author after these brief credits. The Wicked Library is created and shared for free, but there are costs involved in its production. The Wicked Library now has a Patreon account. Head on over to thewickedlibrary.com for more details and to support the show you love. We really do count on your support in order to make the show possible. The Wicked Library is sponsored by... The Legends, Myths, and Whiskey Podcast, brought to you by a team of storytellers and whiskey lovers. They bring culture to life through storytelling every week. You can find them over at legendsmythsandwhiskey.com. You can, of course, also find them in iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. They also have a production of Beowulf, fully scored with music by someone those who are fans of the Wicked Library would be familiar with, Nico Viteze. Find links in the show notes. Or head on over to legendsmythsandwhiskey.com to find out more. The Wicked Library is a Ninth Story Studios production. Ninthstory.com All audio recorded in-house at Ninth Story Studios is recorded on Rode microphones. Find out more information about the great products over at Rode.com. That's R-O-D-E dot com. And big thanks to Rode for helping us make this show possible. Complete show notes, including credits for music, art, story, and narration can be found at thewickedlibrary.com by clicking on the appropriate episode number. You can also find a link to our Twitter account, our Facebook page, and a link to rate and review the show in iTunes. Reviews mean a lot to us. Please let us know what you think of the show. And now, our interview with the author. And welcome. This we're going to pretend we're sitting inside the Wicked Library right now. The librarian may or may not have thrown something at you. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm excellent today, and you, ma'am, how are you? <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> I'm assuming that we're sitting in deep black leather chairs and with coffee, and you know, at the tables ready to hand. Oh, absolutely. A little bit of a fire crackling. It's uh, been oh, fed yeah, very yeah. well with the dry bones of infant youth. Um, yeah. It, it adds the <laughs> cheeriest atmosphere, I found. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Roadman was your story for the Wicked Library this time around. And last time it was my dear cousin Gavin, which, by the way, was entirely disturbing. But that was a while ago now. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was actually my first maiden voyage into, uh, and I guess I guess the Roadman is a bit too, is my maiden voyage into uh, doing more contemporary type stories. Oh, really? So, uh, yeah, it's, it was kind of fun that the first one went to the Wicked Library. <clears throat> nice. So, what kind of stories were you doing before that? Well, I'm, I, I still am. I'm doing a lot of different kind of thing. I do uh, period period uh, dark fantasy, and nice. I've been uh, doing some Lovecraftian, you know, my own Lovecraftian take things, and um, just a lot of different kind of things. I do coyote stories, mm-hmm. kind of like coyote legend teaching stories, so a lot of different stuff. But I have never really done the contemporary uh, here and now kind of classic horror type of thing, and that was... As I had mentioned on my previous interview about that story, it was a real uh, loss of virginity for me in a way, because I had never written anything gross or anything that, like what you're talking about was disturbing. I mean, that was yeah. new territory for me. So <clears throat> so with Roadman, it's not really as graphic, but it was definitely no. still scary and suspenseful and, yeah, very modern. Um, what did you kind of tap into to bring this one to life? Well, I'll tell you. In, in a way, it's a it's in a way it's kind of a real story because um, when I it, it it was had happened to me just like that in some ways it wasn't the road man per se but um, when I was when my family and I were young when we were young we would travel across country to visit the folks grandparents and all that and I always noticed that on those long dark stretches of road you would see these lights 
And it was exactly like this. I mean, you'd see lights behind you that would disappear, and there was nowhere that they could have gone. You know, and it always gave me the whim-whams, <laughs> but kind of in a cool way. You know, it was like, it was that kind of, um, you know, um, dark horror version of seductive and scary at the same time. Yeah. So while there was terror, there was also this, like, what is it? You know, what's going on? There's something, some unknown, this delicious fear of the unknown kind of thing. So when I decided to write this story, I thought, well, how perfect, because I could use a real story that was, you know, inspired by something out of my youth, but I could also tap into something that's, you know, there's a theme that's very near and dear to my heart that's in every story that I write, and it's why I write stories. And that's the idea that the unknown is a terrifying thing that if you're ready or if you're the right person can call you out of the protective firelight into the unknown that will uh, change you into something miraculous and wonderful and different. So for me, that's why I liked the idea that this the kid's scared, but that in the end he becomes the roadman. And nobody ever really, nobody ever gets hurt from the roadman. Mm-hmm. And really what the roadman's doing is he's looking for the right kid to succeed him, the kid who is just curious enough to be willing to to taste it himself. So that's what I that's what I was basically trying to do with that one was show that sometimes the things we're really terrified of can be the most enticing, transformative experiences of our lives. Yeah. So, and for better or for worse, you get drawn into whatever's next. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that that answered one of my other questions was uh it it for me listening to that or rather not listening. I didn't get to listen to this. I had to read it because uh Dan doesn't exist yet <laughs> or whoever is <laughs> reading this one. Um but after reading this, it was just like I was so transported back to that moment in my youth where it was I had the same thing like just 12, 14, 16 hour road trips from Connecticut to Michigan going to visit family. And it was, it was definitely that like middle of the night, 3 a.m. moment where like you feel like you're somewhere else. And it's just, you really, really captured that. I really enjoyed that about this story. Cool. Well, road trips are a major, major ritual for me to this very day. And uh, I use them pretty much for that same kind of walking outside of normal reality <laughs> giving you this weird other because when you're on the road it's you're nowhere in a way and mm-hmm. you, you know all kinds of possibilities open up and uh, I, I like very much the idea maybe I keep pushing a dead horse or pushing my own horse but I like very much the idea that uh, and I feel sometimes I feel con- con- in contrast to a lot of what's going on in horror and weird fiction today the idea that um that scary thing out there is uh, looking for you. And if, you, if you're if you not big and bad enough to take that ride, it's going to chew you up and spit you out. But if you are big and bad enough to take that ride, then you can be transformed into something fabulous, you know, something beyond transhuman, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, that's kind of, like I said, that's the kind of the formula that I use yeah. for everything, whether it's the dark fiction, period fiction, coyote stories all of it it's basically that same in one form or another now it's it's kind of cool how you seem to feel like his transformation wasn't necessarily a bad thing um the way i experienced it was kind of like oh my gosh he like lost his identity but he also gained something different and it, it is interesting how you kind of play with that line of is it good or is it bad that this happened, but this happened? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and that's why I, too, it's like, I'm, I'm one of these writers, too, and I guess some writers aren't like this, but I like very much that the reader or the listener gets his own, his or her own personal thing out of it. You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. it's like I throw down a bunch of paints and say, here are the colors, make what you will of it. It's not saying, no, 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 it meant this, it meant this. <laughs> well, it meant that to me, it meant that to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. I took that concept, and that's how it, what it meant to me, but it meant absolutely nothing of that to the person outside. So the idea that um, 
that that the roadman, you know, he is doing his thing. What he's what he's doing is he's searching for that kid that is just curious enough. Because like it's not like I mean the way I interpret it is it's not like he's dragging kids screaming and crying, you know, crawling out of their cars to, to right. his place. Because he waits until they're old, till they're adults. So the guy is is called, you know, once he's an adult and can say basically yay or nay, I'm willing to take your place or not. So, but it is a strange, desolate thing. It's not like he's, once the guy becomes the roadman, it's not like he's tooling down the highway, whistling and singing, you know, <laughs> birds are chirping. It's still that dark, always, it's always black, it's always dark, it's always this strange Kafka-esque universe of the unreal, and that's to me what it represents, this, that it's an unreal world of uncertainty, because it, whether it's our world or that other world, it's all uncertainty. So, I mean, that's, that was kind of the flavors I was trying to throw out there for the, for the reader to try to, you know, pick and choose what, which of those pieces, you know, spoke to them. Yeah. That's fantastic. Um, how long did it take you to write this story? Well, this is, I mean, this is my own weird thing. It, just, I, I, it blows my mind. I wrote that story in one day. Wow. I just woke up and I, it was there. It was there from the first word to the last word, almost as though I had watched a video of it. And I just blasted it out, you know, proofread and fixed it and tweaked it. In one day it was complete from the first word to the last word till it was gone. Other stories have taken, I just, I just finished one the other day that I've been, that's, that's about Krampus mm-hmm. and Drosselmeyer and Santa Claus. And it's a very dark sort of thing. And I've been working on that for over a year, and it's a short story no longer than this one. Oh, wow. But it, but it was just, I could not finish it. I couldn't get the right, um, the right psychic place, the right balance. Because working with Herr Drosselmeyer, who to me is the, you, you know who that is, of course. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's, he's in um, Nutcracker, the magical toy maker. Right. That brings dreams and all. So to me, it was like taking this wondrous the, the wonderful innocent Santa figure and the mysterious ambivalent Herr Drosselmeyer bringer of magic toys and Krampus the, on the, on the <laughs> other side. And I'm putting them as three brothers oh, who nice. are holed up in Santa's cabin on Christmas Eve to decide who gets the toy. And <sighs> what the toy is, is Herr Drosselmeyer has made a uh, perfect you know, like like four-foot-tall miniature of the Palace of Versailles, which can either be a fabulous child's, you know, dollhouse full of tinkling this and that and the other, or a palace of horrors. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Depending on whoever's going in there. So, you know what I mean? And, and what, what I, but I wanted, so at, at the beginning, the, the Drossmeyer and Santa are waiting for Krampus to arrive. So it's, I'm setting up this, on the one hand, they're this howling outside and this what's out there and I'm scared and, you know, who's coming and what are we waiting for our brother? And you don't realize that their brother is Krampus until he's actually there and he's described. <laughs> so you have these brothers, these cantankerous old brothers, like arguing and bitching about, you know, quick, get away from the window and all that stuff. And then you get in, once they're all three there in place, then you get into this dark sort of, you know, uh, tableau about who's naughty and who's nice and what's naughty and nice. There was, there were no nice kids that year, (sighs) but there was one very, very bad kid that was humanity. So what happens is, you know, uh, Krampus puts the, the, you know, the planet earth into the dollhouse. Oh man. The screams and blah, 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 blah. (laughs) I was trying to work with cute and mm-hmm. charming and scary and cool because I see Krampus as both scary and cool. Oh, absolutely. So I'm trying to work with all these flavors that I could not possibly get them right. And then, like I said, I've been working on it for over a year and then just all of a sudden the other day it, it popped and I finished it in like two hours. So <laughs> Amazing. This one I, then the, the road man I finished in one day. So God knows. <laughs> <laughs> Do you find that so that happens a lot? Is just every every so often it just pop, like it just clicks into place, and then the story is just done in your Absolutely. head, or yeah. Absolutely, I've had that. I've had that a few times in this last few months where ones come out, and I just do it in one day. You know wow! What I mean? And it's done. And then I have others. I have two or three others that are still sitting there that are 
being obstinate. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm doing one that I'm trying to do that's that's about Pikmin. I've done I'm doing a Pikmin's daughter story. Oh, cool! Because you know? I'm not really I haven't really seen any Pikmin's daughter stuff. Mm-mm. And she's this cool, you know, old. She's old, and the world is changing, and she's getting ready to go write her memoirs, you know, what I mean? <laughs> and disappear. And she doesn't get to do that, of course. But you know, and that one is like being a real bitch now and not letting me. But I think I'm at the point now where because <laughs> some come out quick and some take forever, so I'm just letting them. All right, come when you're ready. Yeah, not going to force you. You know. Well, and. Um- do you find that happens a lot after you sleep? Do you think, like, as you're dreaming, your brain's just kind of clicking the pieces together? I think that's probably the case, yeah, because I noticed that a lot of times the ones that I've done in one day, I've had them when I woke up. Okay, so I'm curious. On those days where you wake up and, like, the story's just there, was there something that happened the night before that you, like, at, like almost, like... Something that got your brain into that mode? Were you writing the night before? Or was there something that's similar to all of those days? Nothing I can really see because my my universe at this point is pretty is pr- pretty much on an even keel. Okay. So there's not, uh, you know, a lot of unusual ups and downs of things that, uh, and they've all come out of the blue. Now, I'll tell you, I will tell you one thing that I mentioned that I told Dan on the last interview, which is just, I, uh, two years ago, I had, I had been writing, uh, you know, like basically magical realism. I had written four novels and they were about gin in the modern world and all this stuff. And I had never written any short stories, not one. And now I've written about 40 or 50 of them in the last year and a half. And I've had 25 of them published in the last 14 months from the very first one I ever sent off. And what happened was I was on my back for five months with Mm -hmm. sciatica in unbearable psychedelic quality pain and no drugs. So I'm just taking ibuprofen for it. So what happened was I started hallucinating. Oh my gosh. <laughs> just from pain. And so all these stories. So I'm laying there in bed, a- barely able to, not even able to sit up, composing stories on a iPad. Wow. You know what I mean? And, yeah. And, and most of those stories, if not all of them, have sold by now because my mind just moved into a completely different sphere of action mm-hmm. from based on, on that you know, level of consciousness change. So, and I've, I've had, I've had one other experience like that 30 years ago, but that's why I say sometimes I wouldn't want to do it again. Right. Thank God I had that opportunity because <laughs> it really, it changed the way I wrote and it changed the way I interact with my brain Yeah. in fantastic ways. So, so it was you worth know, the knows? pain <laughs> afterwards, but maybe not during. <laughs> maybe, I guess that's the way you could say about childbirth. I've never had a child, but it's kind of like maybe that's how it is. You know, it was, it was worth the pain, you know. I can imagine. To have ended up. So where can people find more about your, uh, more of your work, rather? Well, um, there is, uh, I, I just had one story come out this month, just a few days ago, actually, from uh, Alban Lake Press which is uh, the Accursed Lineage, which is a Lovecraftian uh, story about what about something that went on on Christmas uh, in the uh, Miskatonic University Library when all the kids have gone away. And there's a one of the deep ones has begun some strange research of his own in the library. <laughs> nice. And as I, that's called, that, um, that anthology is called Miskatonic Dreams on Alban Press. And I have just, right now I have a bunch of stuff coming out. I, that's, um, I'm in the process of making a website, which I haven't gotten together yet. But Hey, with that so much I writing, you just, don't have time for web development. <laughs> it's, you know, it's really true. And I don't have this, other than using those cheap free sites. Mm-hmm. You know? So, <clears throat> but I'm just happy that Dan has been putting me on the lift and the Wicked Library so much, so... Yeah, there's a couple of other things he's going to do, so that's I've been very excited about that. I've just been enjoying putting my stuff there. There's a, a few things I've put there, like I told him, I just like two or three of them that he, like the one I did for Halloween, this mm-hmm. one I'm doing for Christmas. You know, I mean, obviously the lift, those are his into perpetuity. They're those belong to him because right. they're, they're for him. But I am doing the same thing with 
the ones, the Christmas and the uh, Halloween one that, uh, you know, I'm not going to put those anywhere else. So those will always just be available on the Wicked Library. So Fantastic. Well, we will link out the Wicked Library. It's a good home. And um, you've been helping out the Wicked Library as an assistant librarian, too. And uh, I, I... I'm not someone who directly benefits from your hard work for reading through the reader pile, but I wanted to say thank you anyway. <laughs> my pleasure. My pleasure. Like I said, I think the Wicked Library is very cool. I've listened to dozens and dozens of different podcasts, and I very much like what the, li- the, the Liquid Library, the Liquid <laughs> Library is doing. So I'm happy to help any way I can. And I appreciate you know them helping me. Yeah, absolutely. So we will continue to do that. And in the show notes, I'll put together um, some links to some of your work that's coming out so people can find more about your writing well, I mean, right I, there. If I could, could I send you a couple of links for stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Please okay. do. All right. Yeah, because I don't have it right off the top of my head. No problem. Um, and that way, the show notes will be something that people can reference and be like, okay, here's where we can find it. And uh, I know... Cool. People can find you on thewickedlibrary.com as one of the assistant librarians. And there's some more in your about page there. Cool. Cool. I'm always available on Facebook, so. And Facebook. We'll add that link, too. Oh, there was one other thing I wanted to ask you. Um, Have you found that being uh, an assistant librarian at the Wicked Library and helping read through the reader pile has helped you pick out quicker like if you know if a story is working well well i'll tell you um i was uh i worked in an actual traditional publishing house in manhattan Mm -hmm. for 25 years and one of my jobs was reading the slush pile so i read the slush pile for 25 years you know there and yes so i kind of i kind of feel like i brought that skill to reading at the wicked library nice so you are familiar with this process (laughs) yeah yeah Well, awesome. Thank you for sitting down in this uh, decrepit library with me. And uh, please (laughs) make sure the uh, librarian doesn't stab you too often on the way out. I'm armed. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Ha 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 ha!